welcome to LMK How. I'm Lauren. I work in the PR space and love immersing my life with knowledge from mental health to wellness to beauty, along with all things trendy. I interview people from all different industries while also including solo episodes about the things that interest me. I'm stoked to have you here. Now let's get to the episode. Scout Sobel is the founder of Scout's Agency and the co-host of the popular OKSIS podcast. She is a trailblazer in the media industry for utilizing podcasts as a powerful form of PR. After starting OKSIS, which focuses on female guests, Scout fell in love with spreading women's stories and identified the rising popularity and influence of podcasting. She started Scout's Agency with an emphasis in podcast PR for women entrepreneurs, podcasters, and brands. Within a year and a half of starting Scout's Agency, she had run podcast tours for high-profile women like Kat Sadler, Kelly Baker, and Rebecca Minkoff, and booked major celebrities on her clients' podcasts as guests, such as Brian Grazer, Colby Calais, Sophia Amoruso, and Jillian Michaels, all with no prior connections. She also landed brands like Bala and Kelly Baker Brows in publications like Marie Claire, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, People, Who What Wear, Essence, Forbes, amongst others. With a lot of self-development work, Scout manages her bipolar disorder successfully and uses her mental strength to fuel her entrepreneurial dreams. She uses her mental health journey to inspire other women to feel safe in their emotions and follow their entrepreneurial calling with her solo podcast, Scout. Hello. Hey, girl. Hey. Oi, we're already off to a terrible start. (laughs) I'm dying already. (laughs) Okay, so how are you? I am good. I am on Lauren's podcast, which is kind of a crazy, surreal situation since when you started working for me, you were getting into the podcast industry, and now you are the host of one. Yes, definitely. Um, Lots of growth happening. Yeah. Individually. And also together. Yes, yes. <laughs> Individually, as a collective of Scouts Agency, and as a collective of humanity, just in general. Yes, yes exactly. Um, so one of the things I like to ask people is, what's one thing that you do for yourself every day? One thing that I do for myself every day, which is actually quite a large, long list of things, because I'm pretty strict with my daily rituals, but the one thing I think if I had to shed everything and only keep one would be journaling first thing in the morning. I do it every single day. Um, sometimes I skip a Saturday, so but it's at least six times a week. It's the first thing I do when I wake up. I wake up, I go get coffee open the door for Looney to walk out and um, then I sit and I journal for about 15 to 30 minutes uh, just free form like I'm still half asleep my coffee's just hitting me all of that good stuff and it's been in my opinion the most most effective thing for intuitively understanding where I'm at for checking in for setting my day up um, I've been writing since I was 13 in a journal, but I actually took some time off around the age, I think 22 or 23, because it just got a little bit too dark. My life was a little too dark and journaling was a way to dwell in it. But now my relationship to journaling is just this super sacred place for me every single day to subconsciously dump what I'm feeling, to work through my emotions, to set myself up right. So that's the, that's the one thing I do every single day. How did you make that shift from journaling being a dark tedious task to it being something that fuels you every day yeah so writing has been was my first love uh the minute I found out how to write and read that was what I was all about I didn't really want to see people when I was younger my mom had to drag me to school drag me to camp I really just wanted to sit in my room and read And then I would write these short stories. And I remember my grandma working with me and we made a little book when I was like eight. She drew the pictures, I wrote the words and something in me clicked that I just loved writing. And so I had a diary ever since I could write. But then in eighth grade, I bought my first black moleskin notebook, which is the notebook I still use today. And I think at that time, you know, I was about to enter high school the emotions, you know, of puberty started hitting me. And so the journal started as a very creative place. I would write poetry and then write down the lyrics that I loved from very emotional songs. 
And I was definitely using my journal as a place to discover the depths of my emotional landscape that were starting to ignite as a 13-year-old. And then when I was 14, um, I had my first depressive episode and the journal really became my place. It was like my best friend. It was the thing I could go to when I was feeling really, really dark. And so I kept a journal for about a year for a very long time. And then when I was diagnosed officially with bipolar disorder at the age of 20, I wasn't yet equipped with tools. And what started as a very inspirational place ended up being a space that I just went to when I was depressed or when I was feeling a very, a sense of depth that was quite isolating and, and to be honest, quite scary. Um, I was channeling stories that were so highly uh, terrifying. Um, I struggle with psychosis problems where it manifests as men following me outside my window waiting to harm me. And I would write these short stories and they, the woman was either physically abused or emotionally abused every single time. And it got to a point where those stories were coming through me because of my disorder and they weren't the stories I wanted to tell. And so I decided to stop writing for a few years as I focused on my healing. And I would write here and there, but it really was the beginning of 2020 that I really got serious about trying again, trying to infuse that because it really just was such a part of me my whole life. I think you know Lauren, like in the agency, I just, I do all the writing. It's just kind of my jam. And mm -hmm. so I actually bought a Moleskine notebook. They have like an extra, extra thick, large one. And I finished that one in a year. And since my mindset and my perspective shift was from being a helpless victim in a mental illness to empowering myself to healing, the journal entries changed significantly. So if you look back on my journal from 13, 14, it's drawings, it's poems, it's quotes, it's short stories, and now it's just straight journaling about my life. So it's cool to see the evolution for sure. A lot of the questions that I have are focused on what's the mindset that you had to push yourself into in order to get through these mental health hardships. Like I really am just like so curious, like what did you tell yourself maybe when you like looked in the mirror or this or that, like in those kind of situations, like how did you move through it? Yeah, it was definitely phases, various phases. So the first real phase of my healing happened when I was 21 and my husband looked at me and said, we were that boyfriend, we were about two months into dating and he said something that changed my life. He said, I don't care if you're depressed, I'll be with you if you're depressed and hopeful but if you're depressed and hopeless, I can't be in this relationship. And so the first phase of changing my mindset and perspective shift was, what if I go through my entire day the exact fucking same way, do all the same things? I don't even have to change my habits yet. I don't even have to change my routines. What if I just did it with some hope? Like, what would that feel like? And it was contagious. It ignited something in me. And look, that was almost 10 years ago, nine years ago, nine years ago at this point. But that was where it started by just adding in something, not taking away, not changing, but adding in a different perspective shift. And so from there, um, infusing my days with hope allowed me to start walking down the path of healing, which included going to support groups, um, reading a lot of books. My husband is um, in Alcoholics Anonymous and I actually attended weekly meetings which was so beneficial, open meetings, there's closed and open meetings since I'm not an alcoholic or an addict, um, which was so beneficial. Support groups really were the way that I first, really first started taking my healing seriously. But then once I was able to then first just add in a mindset shift of hope, then I was able to add in the tools and start taking responsibility for my life. Start on, I started to understand that I could go to outpatient as many times as I wanted. I could go to therapy as many times as I wanted. I could take as many drugs as they gave me, but it wasn't going to change unless I did something. At the end of the day, people can support you and, and having support is so necessary, but it's never going to get you to the finish line. You're the only one that can do that. And so it went through a lot of phases. It went through, okay, can I work now? Okay, I threw myself too into work and I became an overly functioning person and that didn't work for me. I think the the last mindset shift that I've gone through, which in my opinion is the most important one, 
and the one that I hope everybody gets to is that I just have this incredible trust in what happens for me. Like I have this understanding that there is this super divine timing in my life that I can have anything I want if I co-create within that timeline. And so I'm no longer afraid of my emotions. You know, I used to get really scared when I was anxious or depressed. I would think, fuck, here we go. I'm going down, cancel everything, quitting the job. I didn't know when it would hit. It was, I, I didn't know when my mind was going to turn against me. I didn't know when I was going to lose touch with reality. And so I would catastrophize. And that catastrophization and that, that like anxiety about the anxiety was actually the thing that tipped me over the edge, not the actual emotion itself. And so now I've gotten to this place where I'm safe in my emotions. I, I truly believe that. I don't, you don't have to be scared of them. They come and they go. They move through you. They're a part of being human. And so I guess my big big mindset shift now is that I am committed to being here. I'm committed to being a human. I'm committed to loving my life unconditionally, which means that I accept and and predict that uncomfortable emotions will come towards me, but yet I have the strength and confidence that I can walk through those when that happens. I'm living my dream life right now. And I know there's going to be a time where shit hits the fan, where something that I didn't expect, a grief, a loss, whatever it might be, but I just know, one, that something's going to happen, and two, that I'll survive it because I've survived everything else. There's no, there's, you know, there's no evidence in my past that says that I can't survive my emotions. Um, there's been, you know, seesawing around that, but yeah, it's just this this perspective that, I can handle this. Not only I, can I handle this, but that I want to handle this. That That's really what it is. Like sometimes when I have anxiety, I actually stop and I just pray to God and I say, thank you for giving me anxiety today. I'm alive. That's fucking rad. And if this is what being alive means today, then this is what it means. But I think just having a bigger appreciation for for our mortality, for, for being here. It's a big deal that we're here. It's, it's pretty rad in my opinion. So that's been my major mindset shift as of late that has gotten me to a point where not only am I functioning with a mental illness, but I'm actually not afraid of it as well. And how do you navigate external relationships in your personal life and elsewhere when you are doing all of this work individually and most of it on your own, in your own head, alongside with your team of people? Yeah. So it's really interesting because I think I talk a lot on podcasts about being mentally ill and living with bipolar disorder and how intense it is. But there's only a very select people that actually know what that means. And that's my mom, my dad, my sister, my husband, and a very select few friends. I'm very open about the experiences, but I don't do full breakdowns in front of everybody. Um, so really, there's only probably about five to seven people that have really, really seen me in that. And I'll be the first to say that I um, I wasn't taking radical responsibility for my emotions, and I was actually offboarding them to them. So when I wasn't feeling well, I would text my husband immediately and say, I'm not doing well. I can't do this. Come home. And I emotionally dumped everything. And I said, I can't handle this. You handle it. And in doing that, I never got to a point where I was comfortable and confident enough to sit through it and get through it. So there were many years where my family and my husband was on call. It was just an on-call situation. You know, my husband would be working and suddenly my dad's calling him and he's like, Scout just took herself to the hospital. I don't know why, but she drove herself there and she's talking to a doctor. We got to get over there. And so in many ways, similar to being an alcoholic or an addict, you wreak havoc on the people that are closest to you. It wasn't fun for them. There are many things, many decisions that I've made over my life today that worry my loved ones because they don't know, they don't want to go back to that. Um, And that's been really heavy. It's been really heavy for my husband. You know, people see me, I think, on Instagram, on OKSIS podcast, on my podcast, and they see someone who is really strong and there was a point when Adam didn't know what, what he was coming home to. And I don't mean that in a light way. I mean it in a very like, 
will she be alive when I get home? And to know that that's the emotional burden I put on people hurts me and makes me feel badly and and I don't beat myself up over it too much and give myself shame because I was sick. But the minute I recognized what I was doing to others was the minute I took responsibility over my emotions. And the minute I said, support is great. You can't live without support, but it's you. It's just you and you're the only fucking one. You can't make someone be sober the same, same way you can't make someone handle and manage their mental illness. And so I had to get to a point where I saw my husband's face one day and I thought about the promise I made to him as a wife and I wasn't giving him that life. So, and I wasn't giving myself that life. So today it looks very differently Um, communication is a lot more healthy. I am not in emergency states. I do it myself first. I internally check in and say, how can I help myself in this moment? And then if I need support, I have a coach. You know, I designated, I invested in in a safe space that I can work on this because I know that it's like not, it doesn't sound that great, but Your friends and your significant others are not responsible for your happiness. And this idea that we just call people crying and just call people and say, stop your day and deal with this is is not the way and it's not healthy. So today I have a lot of systems in place that I do, just me, to make sure I'm good because I know that's my responsibility. It's also my number one priority is that I'm good. Same way, you know, my husband's sobriety is his main priority because without those two things, nothing follows after. So... Today, our relationship is a lot different, and all my personal relationships are a lot different, and it's, it's beautiful now to see how far I've come and how they can relax a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a nice feeling. Yes. And what are some of the tools that you use to check in with yourself? I have a lot of tools. They're kind of ever evolving and ever changing, but I am a huge, huge fan of morning routines and night routines. I don't look at my phone um, until earliest 8, earliest 8 a.m., and I wake up around 6, 6.30. Um, I really believe in setting the stage in the morning for just being with you, etc. And so in those times I'm journaling, I pick cards a lot. It's a great way to just do a quick check-in, connect inwards, Um, I do a lot of putting my phone away. I do a lot of getting outside. So if I can work outside, I'll work outside. I go for walks, moving my body, whether that's yoga, Pilates, or just like a brisk walk for 30 minutes. Um, I like reading anything. You know, I, I stay away from scrolling on Instagram, you know, yesterday or the day before I was scrolling and I felt fucking terrible. Like I felt fucking terrible. I found this one girl on a reel. I was like, why is she so hot? And then I looked at all her reels and all I was looking at was her naked body in a fucking bikini with this amazing beachfront property. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Why am I doing this? This is so stupid. So really, I believe in disconnecting my phone. I obviously have a demanding work schedule that I created for myself and that I want. And so really taking care of myself on the other ends. But journaling pulling cards. You know, I'm not a big meditator. One day I will be, but right now it doesn't, it hasn't clicked for me yet, but I understand that that's very, very powerful. Prayer, I pray to God um, when things are good and when things are bad. I think it's important to do when things are good too, not just when things are bad. Uh, Breath work every now and then if I'm getting anxious, I just do box breathing. So inhale five seconds into your nose, hold for five seconds, exhale five seconds out the mouth, hold for five seconds, repeat. I have my crystals, I have my essential oils, I have my supplements. I I got a lot of random shit. I go for cupping and acupuncture at least twice a month for my anxiety. Um, And there's a lot of spending time alone. I I need a lot of alone time. So attempting, we were talking about this over lunch, attempting to not overbook myself with social stuff, that really keeps me centered. Um, But I think it's just being really intentional with my rest time. You know, do I want to spend the first two hours of my morning scrolling on Instagram or do I want to spend them journaling and pulling cards and going for a nice walk with an inspirational podcast and doing my skincare routine and just spending time with me, connecting inward with me. I think, you know, 
those are some of my greatest tools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take for you to figure out that these were the things that you needed in order to have a better day-to-day relationship with yourself? I used to be the girl who woke up at 6 a.m. and no joke was opening her email at 6.05. Not on her phone, sitting at a desk at her computer. It was 6 a.m., up, bathroom, grab coffee, sit at desk, open computer, I'm live. And I can work a lot. I am just an executor. I need, I'm a man, I'm a generator. So I actually, which makes sense, generators can work hours and hours and hours and hours and just pump shit out because we have to energetically. But that led me to burnout very quickly. And so I just started implementing things. And, and to be honest, you don't really know what works until you don't do it. So for example, I wasn't looking at my phone in the morning for a while because I heard it. I was like, I'll try that on. And it felt good for a while. But then one day I didn't do it. I looked at my phone the second I woke up. Fucking day was shot. I was so anxious all day. And so I said, oh, okay, that really works for me. So I suggest people try stuff on that they hear. Podcasts are a great resource. People talk about their morning routine all the time. Try something on that feels good. And then you'll notice when one day you slip up and don't do it, you'll see the impact. I feel lucky that I've been able to see this specific transition in your life and how it's affected you and the people around you and all the changes that have been made since I first met you. And I'm curious to, I'm curious to know how you knew that it was the right time to write a book, that it was the right time to up level, all of that. Such a good question. Um, You know, I really trust my energy levels and my inspiration levels. And so I am somebody who, you know, people ask all the time, you know, how do you get the motivation to run your own business? How do you get the motivation to do things? And for me, I'm so tapped into my intuition that it's not really a choice. It truly is just this biological urge. I would equate it similar to having sex. Like you just have the urge and then you got to like, you know, fulfill the need kind of thing. It's Mm -hmm. that it's that biological for me. So I trust cycles and phases of my inspiration in my business. So at the end of 2020, like I was sleepy. I was super fucking sleepy. And um, I don't know if you noticed it. I think you now can see the contrast between sleepy scout and pumping out scout. But I think there was a lot of talk with my coach on, well, what's happening with my agency? What's the bigger vision here, et cetera, et cetera. And then instead of I suppose, beating myself up over it and forcing something to come out. I just trusted that this was the stage I was supposed to be in at the end of the year. And, you know, the next phase will come to me. And the next phase did come to me very, very significantly. And the only thing that I can say is that the idea to write a book has always been what I've wanted to do. Always, my whole life. That's actually my first career goal is to be an author and so I started working with Right Way last year. I think it was September 2020. I don't remember what prompted me to actually take action and decide now was a good time. I actually don't remember. I think, I think it was just the pandemic, and like people were like, "Oh, you don't have to, you don't have to write that best-selling novel during the pandemic." That whole thing on Instagram. I was like, "Or I could like." fucking don't tell me to stop. Like I fucking hate stuff like that, but I understand that it's very good for people who need to know that they don't need to do a lot, but whatever. Side story. Um, so yeah, I was really looking at the pandemic as what I, what, what I really want to do. And so I started thinking about this book, whatever. I started writing the book proposal. I invested a lot of money into this book proposal. I was going to go the traditional publishing route and I'm someone who moves very quickly. I execute quite quickly. I don't, I don't like waiting and, and I'm just, I'm, it's more because I'm just excited. I just, I'm excited. And the traditional book publishing situation was taking so long and I hated the waiting. And then I realized, I started to think about, okay, what feels good for me? And this is where I really trust my body and like the biological part of all this. And I'm self-publishing my book because I had a really hard conversation with myself and I said, why do you want to traditionally publish? And the answer really was, so people could think I'm legit. And I said, this could take three years 
to get this book published. And you're going to wait. You're going to let your career wait three years because you want people to think you're legit? When, when the fuck have you ever asked someone to tell you you're legit? Literally never. Mm-hmm. I dropped out of college, didn't care, started my own business with no PR agency, didn't care. It's just not like me to sit around and wait for a publishing house to deem me worthy. It wasn't, that didn't feel good in my body. And so then I played around with, okay, what, what, it, what does it feel like in my body if I today decided to self-publish knowing how I work, knowing I'll get it out in six months, knowing I'll launch it in six months? How does that feel? And my body lit up. I was like excited. I started thinking, okay, well, we could do the podcast tour and it would take this long. Nah, 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 nah. And I said, okay, there's my answer. It just, what feels good to you? It doesn't have to be, I don't like to make decisions based off of, other people's expectations or what other people are going to tell me. And once I realized that the play for the traditional publishing was an ego play, I said, okay, get that out of the way. And now let's have some fun. Let's do what I do best, which is coming up with a plan, executing and taking, taking a title for myself. I'm going to take the title for myself. Like I've done my whole life. So I listened to my body. I listened to the inspiration. I listened to the energy. And I think where people get caught is they get this flash of inspiration and then they let the ego and the fear talk them out of it. Then they take this pure, holy, sacred energy and they destroy it with ego. They destroy it with other people's thoughts of what, of what other people think of them. And it's a shame because that energy, I believe, is so sacred. And so now I'm at a point where... I've really, really worked to not make my decisions around external expectations or external reputation. And so just the other day I was journaling and I know this might sound foreign to some people, but God spoke to me and God said, whatever you want to call it, source, spirit, energy. God said, you're going to launch the book and then you're going to create an academy around it. And so what the difference between people who execute and don't is we all get those pings from God. Ideas are downloads from the source that are like, hey, this is your purpose. Hey, you could really be good at this. Or, hey, you should do this. That's a holy message. And whether it comes true is if you show up for it. So when God told me, hey, you're going to launch an academy and a course after the book, I didn't even think about, can I pull this off? Because God wouldn't have told me it. If I couldn't, I wouldn't have this inspiration if I, if I didn't think I could do it. And so it's just about identifying that when you get an inspirational ping, identifying it and, and, and treating it as something really sacred and holy, identifying where the fear and the ego is getting in the way And understand that your life is going to be so fucking powerful if you execute despite that. So when I get a ping to do something, I don't take it lightly because I view that as a major, major guide map for my life. Mm -hmm. Who the fuck am I to ignore the universe? People ask, who am I to do this? Who are you to ignore that? Who are you to ignore that beautiful sacred energy? I mean, it's a shame when you do that. So I follow my energy levels and I don't take my ideas and my inspiration lightly. For people who wouldn't describe themselves as intentional or just in general in in sync with their body, with their emotions, with their energy, what would you say to someone who has the mindset that it's not a ping, but it's them taking a risk. Like, how would you help someone to differentiate that? So I'm a very risk-averse person. Mm -hmm. And let's just cut to the chase. If you want to fucking do anything in this world, you have to take a risk. There's no... And then just shatter the notion that your life isn't risky as it is. Like, just shatter that notion for two seconds. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about being an entrepreneur. I'm just talking about nothing's guaranteed. Like your job isn't guaranteed, your marriage isn't guaranteed, 
your bank account isn't guaranteed, your physical safety isn't guaranteed, and that's not to make you feel unsafe. That's to make you realize that you're risking things on a daily le- daily you know basis all the time. And so it's, it's the ticket to the concert. You want to go to the fucking concert, buy the ticket. The ticket's risk. We can have a whole episode on how to deal with that. I have a whole chapter in my book about how to deal with risk, but that's the ticket. So you either figure out how to deal with risk understanding that you can do it in a in a more rational way you don't have to quit your job today and you don't even have your domain or your instagram set up or any sort of business plan you know you take calculated risk but whenever you do something big out of your comfort zone it involves a risk there's no way around it it's just the ticket so getting really comfortable with that and reframing reframing your perspective around risk and look, when I say these things, not everybody has to take huge risks to do things. Just that's what makes me happy. Like the things I dream of include a large amount of risk. And I'm willing to take that because this is what I want. But there are other things that I want that don't require risk, that are just as meaningful and, and purposeful and intentional in my life. Mm-hmm. You don't have to quit your day job or mortgage your house or spend all your savings to have this fulfilling, magical, big life. It's just not true. You know, I think this is the problem with a lot of the narrative happening right now is that entrepreneurship is so sexy, but it's not, it's not the, it's not the sure way to living large. You can, you can play big and not risk everything or not have a lot of risk in your life. So I think it's just looking at what do you want out of life first Mm -hmm. and working backwards to get that thing. Is it going to require risk? What type of risk? What level of risk am I willing to take on here? You know, I'm willing to risk it all. Truly, I I am. I mean, if Scout's agency went away tomorrow, okay, says podcast went away tomorrow, like it's not going to happen. But if it did, do you want to know what I would do? Mm Mm-hmm. I would get a job as a barista and I would drive for Postmates and I would tell people because I have to be doing this. I don't have an option. So I would do that as I drummed up my next business. So that's, it's just knowing who you are yeah, and then executing accordingly. Definitely. And taking out the ego is so important. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, you know me, like I got nominated for Forbes 30 under 30 and then I went on OKSIS and I say, hey guys, I didn't get it. My sister couldn't believe I even told people I was nominated because if I didn't get it, it's like embarrassing. I was like, no, 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 no. It was fucking awesome. I got nominated. I didn't get it. Oh, well, you know, it's just like taking away this. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, just taking away the shame of things or the embarrassment or the ego. Yes, and just taking control of how you react because the way you react to it also gives people like a setting place of where and how they're going to react also to that news. Totally. That's a really good point. Totally. If I went on there crying, embarrassed, people would feel really bad for me. Yeah. But I think people were really empowered. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you came out more of like as a warrior. Yeah. yeah. How many people do you know didn't get Forbes 30 under 30 and then like spun it in an empowering way? I mean, that's, yeah. And it lets other people, it invites other people into that energy too. Yes. And also that you mentioned being nominated is such a huge honor that it shouldn't be taken lightly. So the fact that even though you didn't get it, you spun it into an empowerment moment. It says a lot about you as a person, but also about how you deal with things in your life, even if they're not to your advantage. Yeah. You can't control most of life. Yeah. But you can control how you react. Yes. That's the magic. Exactly. And besides your your routines, um, what keeps you from feeling like your life is chaotic or how do you stay organized at, with all the hats that you wear? My life is chaotic. Um, sometimes. Not always. Lately. I think it's been more chaotic, which you could probably attest to. Um, It goes back to when things get really chaotic and I get overwhelmed. I remind myself that I chose this. And even if you think you didn't choose it, you did. If you accepted the job offer, you chose it. 
if you accepted to overcommit your calendar, you chose it. So when things get overwhelming, you know, I go into things knowing that's going to happen. So I remember a month or two ago when I kind of saw this vision for my year to launch this book, I knew what it was going to take and I knew the type of sacrifices I was going to have to make socially and I understood that I had to double down on taking care of myself because I really, really had a very specific vision that needed to, that, that truly is a year plan that I was doing in four months. So I told my husband, I said, hey, this is what's happening. Just setting your, your expectations up. There will be moments where I don't think I can do it. There will be moments where I don't want to do it. There will be moments when I want to quit. There will be moments where I am crying so much because I am so fucking overwhelmed and having a panic attack. Just letting you know, I'm going to still hold on during those moments because I know they pass. So I think when you expect, when you really get real and take a realistic viewpoint over your life, knowing you're going into a stressful season, like, I don't know, I, for some reason I'm thinking of if you're in the, in the entertainment industry and it's, or you're a stylist and it's award season, you're a celebrity stylist, like, you know, from January to April or whatever it is, your life's fucking intense. And so you get to step back before that happens and say, I chose this. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to feel this way. And I just want to remember when I feel this way that this moment I said I chose it and I said I would get through it. So I think it's being realistic mm-hmm. and knowing and, and accepting that sometimes things don't feel good when you're pushing through a dream. When you're Imagine like people only have this conversation around career. Like think of parents. Like fuck. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. no one asks them like, I mean, they do. But as a parent, it's such a great example. I'm not a parent, but you have moments where you're like, get these fucking kids out of my face. Like, I'm sure I'm Mm -hmm. sure of it. Mm -hmm. But they're the best thing ever. And so it's just life isn't one. It's all of it. It's all the dualities and everything in between. Yes. So you also now I'm going to turn the tables real quick Special episode. since uh <laughs> this is what I do um you said that you felt really great that you've not I don't know what you said I don't know if you felt great about it but that you've been able to witness some transitions in me since we've been working together mm-hmm. for a year mm-hmm. in what ways I'm just curious because I'm always curious about the way people see me online versus who I actually am I think there's truth but there's also you know it's a very narrow vision what about me has surprised you since you listened to OK Sis before we met? So you yeah. you had this idea of me, right? Yeah. yeah. In what ways have I lived up to that idea? And in what ways have I fallen short? Or just am I different? I mean, I can't think of any ways that you've fallen short, if I'm being honest. Like, I'm not trying to toot it, but yeah. <laughs> um, You're like, my job's on the line. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> This is a make it or break it answer. <laughs> this is a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of the things, like on a personal level, is that you have shown me how to be a entrepreneurial, badass, working woman who is still in touch with her mental health and loves nice things and before I thought you were like super bougie (laughs) just like some of the stuff like when you were like I learned how to do my eyebrows in quarantine I learned how to do my nails I'm like girl you're funny (laughs) I was like my mom taught me that when I was six (laughs) but it's like the things like that that just make you so human that I like love so much and um you thought I was bougie or you still think I'm I mean I am but I think that like a lifestyle standard honestly where you're just like this is like the standard of living that I choose for myself so yeah and yeah. You, sh- you should also know that when I was 21 and 22 Adam and I would split a Denny's meal for date yeah like there was a time when spending eight dollars on a meal like stressed me the fuck out yeah which is hard to believe and like that's definitely something I've heard um on other episodes that you've done that you've mentioned that it's just so crazy because from the moment I listened to the podcast became a fan met you we became friends and I work for you um when I first met you I was so nervous I definitely had the um 
what's it called when you like meet a celebrity like you feel that you, if you were starstruck like, you were fangirling i remember we oh, went to yeah. get a bottle of wine at stelly's i was like are you okay <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no literally um i was so nervous so nervous and i was in such like a eh, time of my life i had just like graduated college the year before was in a job that was not great i feel like I don't know, something that comes up is that I think about and reflect how we both used to be and how far we have come and that also I can take it for granted sometimes and sometimes like get so deep in like the mental health hole that you don't like you look around you're like you fucking did that you fucking did that like Mm -hmm. remember like you got here yeah yeah so um I guess that's like the first stuff I would say I would look at you because we were talking a little bit about you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be 30 this year so I'm five, like five-ish a little less than five years older than you uh-huh. and I just want to reflect to you that your lifestyle is so far ahead of what my lifestyle was at 25 and so just to have you imagine where you're going to be in five years Mm -hmm. and the abundance and expansion that's available for you in five years. Yeah. Cause you see me now and this really happened within the last three years Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Not, I mean, look, disclaimer, my family's, you know, well off. I grew up in a very, very nice childhood, but between, you know, as an adult, after I dropped out of college, um, you know, I was, I was a gelato scooper. Like I literally scooped gelato. That was my job because I was a college dropout and like my parents gave me, I don't know, 500 bucks a month. And then I had to figure it out and, um, super grateful for their help. And they, they, they will always be there to catch me when I fall. And that's amazing. But, um, yeah, I mean, Adam and I split Denny's. That was our, we didn't get both, we didn't both get eggs. We uh, split the egg combo, you know what I mean? So it's just cool to think about how far you come and, and how much you, you up-level and expand and if you're willing to kind of put in the work to get there. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think people see me now and don't realize that I was a barista. I bagged groceries at an Italian deli market at the age of 24 no, 23, mm-hmm. you know, I did gelato scooping, hostessing, worked at a bookstore, you know, and I'm so grateful for those because I think they make me a good entrepreneur because I really understand what a dollar is mm-hmm. because when you work a minimum wage job like that for so many years, it just teaches you a whole other perspective, especially in the restaurant industry. So. Yes, I am super bougie, and I always was bougie. I was just waiting until I could afford the bouginess. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. When I started OKC's podcast, I was an ordinary—not ordinary. It's wrong. I wasn't a s- influencer. Like I didn't, I didn't have a circle of friends that were doing all this crazy shit. And then OKSIS gave me this insane network. You know, I'm like going to dinner with all these incredible women and in the scene, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. And then with Scott's agency, I don't know what it was. It was never my intention, but we've just been able to attract super rad clients. I mean, they're they're a big fucking deal. I mean, you fangirled in a meeting before. Like, we work with cool people. And so... Sometimes I have to stop myself because, you know, I work in this house alone here. I'm not at events since it's COVID. I'm not meeting our clients face to face. Um, I don't see or meet my podcast listeners like I met you. There's thousands of them that I don't know, which is crazy to me. And so that's what makes me always so interested. Not saying that I, I mean, yes, I have a reputation in our industry, et cetera, but it's so fascinating to me that there's this whole there's this whole image of who I am based off of a podcast where you listen to me talk for an hour a week and based off of the people I work with at Scouts Agency. And I don't even think I see myself so much in that way 
until I, you know, met you and saw you fangirling. I mean, it was confusing for me. I was like, um, I mean, I know I'm cool, but like, I don't know about this, right? So it's cool to see what two and a half years, where I've, the industry and the reputation I've been able to garner for myself in just two and a half years Mm -hmm. from being someone who wasn't an influencer or had deep ingrained in like the female entrepreneur space, millennial space. So it's just an example of what you can do if you just enter the space yourself and collaborate. I feel as if I've been able to attract a certain type of crew, which has been, which I'm very grateful for. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out why, but well, I think it's because you're being yourself yeah. and that's also why people are, that was what I was, people are attracted yeah. to you because you are yourself, mm-hmm. you're unapologetically yourself. And something that has been happening that's awesome in social media and just in general is that the more transparent you are, the more success people are seeing, whether it comes to your emotional, your mental health, physical, anything like that, the more transparent you are the more popular you can become because you're so much more relatable. Yeah. Thank God for that trend. Cause I don't think I would succeed if it was any other way. Cause I just don't, I just don't have the filter. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's cause it's pod. I really think it's the podcasting medium because podcasting, this is how I started podcasting. We're sitting in a room together. Yeah. Sometimes I say things I'm like, Oh man, someone's going to hear that. Right. Like the nature of podcasting is that there is no audience. Yeah. So you get used to talking about yourself, about your life experience with a very intimate, either one person or two people. And that's why podcasting is so special because Mm -hmm. you're not posting a photo and knowing people are going to see it instantly. Like you're going to go home. You're going to edit this. I have no control. Like, and I don't even know that process until you'll text me and say it's up. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's so beautiful about podcasting is it allows for people to not have that filter because we forget the only thing that's indicative that people are going to listen to this is the fact that I'm holding a mic up to my mouth. That's it. That's the only thing. Yeah. No, with podcasts though, it's, I feel like because we can't, because the audience can't see our faces, it also changes the narrative and maybe the things we're comfortable with expressing, even if it is like into a microphone. Yeah. I mean... Mads and I started OKSIS with no one listening to us. So we just kept going the way we knew how. Yeah. And so we just we just don't know any other way. Yeah. Which is rad and awesome. And I think the beauty of it. Um, and it's allowed me to also have confidence to be myself in my agency. And I think I talk about this a lot with you is that we get to define who we are in business. Mm-hmm. Right. So I... We don't email dry. You know, we put smiley faces in. I call my clients love sometimes. Hi, beauty, whatever. Yeah. And I think that's so special because we we get to kind of have a more personal approach to business. Mm-hmm. I also feel that you and Maddie have such dynamic personalities that it's also what brings people to your podcast and to your brand as yourself. Yeah, that's something I have trouble with because I don't think that without my sister, I'm as dynamic of a personality as people think I am. Um, If I didn't have Mads and I put myself on the internet, I wouldn't be that big of a personality. If you listen to Scout Podcasts, it's a lot more subdued. It's a lot more quiet. It's a lot more chill. Um, Mads brings out a very, very energetic side to me, which is amazing because it's not something I'm used to playing in. Yeah. But sometimes I step back and I say, oh, this is how people know me, but that's not how I know myself. Mm -hmm. That's how I know myself with my sister. Yeah. That's not how I know myself outside. Although now that, okay, this is such an ingrained part in my life, it's opened up that part of my personality. And now I'm like that in other places, but I'm still playing catch up to that new version of me. Mm-hmm. So you'll see me do it a lot in meetings at the end. I was like, was I too much? Was that too much? Did I talk too much? Because I'm not used to this louder personality. I'm used to being the one that's a little quieter. Mm-hmm. That's a little more serious. Yeah. That's more poetic. 
that's, you know, passing a bottle of wine around with her girlfriends on a Saturday night reading Howl by Allen Ginsberg and smoking cigarettes instead of being at a frat party, right? Yeah. And so I'm just going with it because clearly it's bringing such good into my life. And obviously I wouldn't be this far if that part of me wasn't meant to come out at this phase of my life. Mm -hmm. But it does give me a little bit of an identity crisis at times because people say that I'm funny and that I have a big personality and it's just not the way I don't think anyone would have def- would have described me before OK Sis except my mom and my sister. So in that, people see a very, very specific energy which is maybe my true energy. Maybe who I truly am is with my sister and my husband and my mom, right? There's an element of total comfort and and total love and support and so maybe that's my true identity and maybe the identity that I was putting up on Instagram to my friends or whatever before OK Sis was this very curated editorial version of who I thought I was but that's been hard to break that down and think that I'm not the moody girl who is because I talk about myself this way sometimes I don't know if people think of me this way but I'm not the artsy girl in the corner who's writing poetry, crying and smoking cigarettes and Black Doc Martens and getting tattoos at four in the morning in New York City and, you know, being judgmental of people who like Taylor Swift, you know, like that's really who I was for a very long time. And now it's been so beautiful because I've been totally cracked open and and totally got rid of my judgmental ways because clearly me keeping myself in this struggling depressed artist box wasn't serving me but that had been my identity for so long but then by the time I got to okay sis this new identity emerged because Mads was in the room and so I've been grappling with who do people think I am knowing that it doesn't really matter who they think I am but also which one am I is this new energy, dynamic personality that's funny and boisterous and really kind of takes over a room more, is that who I'm supposed to be? Is that who I sp- was meant to be my whole life? Or am I just being mad? Like, I don't know. And I, I mean, I struggle with it because I want to control my image. And I've always been very specific about what my image was. Mm-hmm. And now it's not that. It's not anything I could have planned for, but it's so much better. Yeah. So many people connect with me on such a deep level. I, I can't dream of the DMs I get from women who say that I changed their life, that I'm their role model, that, that I, per, I gave them the inspiration to take control of their mental health, that they now realize they can be this and that. I've never had responses from people like this. I've never had people want to work with me as much as I do now. And so I guess this is just me processing everything real quick. But I guess the conclusion that I'm coming to is that OK Sis cracked open a part of me. And that part of me was not who I dominantly identified with. Yet that is who I now am online. And because of that crack open and me exploring that aspect of myself, while I feel uncomfortable because it's not the narrative I would have chosen for myself, it's showing me that the true narrative, which is my truth, is so much better than what I had concocted in my mind in my early 20s. <laughs> that is exactly how I've been trying to explain to myself what's been happening to me in the last two and a half years with putting myself on the internet. And thank you, Lauren, for giving me the space to uh, accurately articulate and figure out what what I've been feeling as it comes to my identity and how people perceive me because it was confusing to me for a while while why people thought I was funny I was like the only person that thinks I'm funny is my mom like what are you talking about like my close friends would never say that you know yeah so it's interesting yeah hmm do you feel like as you grow into this next chapter up leveled whatever you want to call it do you feel that your friends and those who are close to you are coming up with you or do you ever feel like sometimes there's like a disconnect that you're just like why don't you understand me why don't you 
want to grow too. Yeah. Um, I'm really good because I can be friends with basically anyone, mostly at any stage of their life. And like, I'm so judgmental with myself, but like my friends, if you put them all together, they're all so different. Mm -hmm. However, in that I have been gravitating towards some new friends who are more at my stage, who are more into spirituality, personal development and entrepreneurship, just because I can so totally relate to them. Mm -hmm. You know, my girl, Whitney, like she's just, I couldn't, if, if, you looked at us side by side. I think we look totally fucking opposite, right? Like totally opposite. But she just gets me on every level. We're just, she's just there. And the friends of mine who aren't there or are somewhere else, maybe further along behind whatever, to the left, to the right, doesn't matter. You know, I've been fortunate enough that most of my friends are really from childhood. And so those types of relationships, unless toxic and are holding you back, I don't believe should change. I believe you should have those. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, sometimes some friends I know that like this isn't the right place to talk about stuff like this. And then other friends, you know, there's no such thing as having a friend who there's no such thing as having anyone that gets all of you and like can secure all needs. Right. So, you know, you have different friends for different reasons. But yeah, I, I had a friend who who I blocked on social media because it was toxic. Mm hmm because of my growth and where I was going. And yeah, I've gotten eyebrows raised when I talk about coaching and how I coach with my, how I hired a coach mm-hmm. and the amount, and you know, how I stopped going to therapy and just have her around. And yeah, my friends, some of my friends were not stoked on that. And it was this, this like, okay, well we have different perspectives and that's totally chill. Like I think this notion that our friends have to be exactly where we're at and agree with us on everything isn't true but you do need to have some that are on the same exact page so that you don't feel alone in that way being in your personal life as I am I know that 30 is an exciting year that's coming up and I'm curious to know what you see that stage of your life looking like at least the beginning of it maybe (laughs) foundation stability confidence yeah clear vision yeah um my 20s were a shit show like oh my god no one warned me get the fuck out of here I'm done <laughs> I'm done I don't know I'm sitting here 29 I'm like ew oh you're like let's get I'm ready it. like can we fast forward to 30 like fast forward to 35 dude right like mm-hmm. oh I'm gonna be killing it at 35 <laughs> I'm gonna be stoked so yeah I'm super excited I feel like I'm more I'm gonna be more embodied I'm gonna be more connected more in tune more focused more clear and just overall more secure in who I am, for sure. Mm-hmm. And do you see yourself taking on any additional projects or fine-tuning the ones you are working on now? Just growing the business is my main thing. Mm-hmm. Am I creating extra branches of the business? Yes to diversify income streams, to create more of like a kind of more of a empire brand, like a whole umbrella with different legs. I think that the only new project that I will take on in my thirties is God willing, starting a family. I think that's probably going to be the extra thing that I do. Mm. But, um, other than that, it'll be really just growing the business um yeah definitely no that's so exciting there's people who I hear where they're like the moment I turned 30 it all just felt better yeah (laughs) that's what I hear too to be quite honest and I'm stoked because I'm going to be in Tulum when I turn 30 yes just at my favorite restaurant with my husband my sister and her boyfriend and I think it'll be a big it'll be a big moment it feels monumental for sure and I think my husband and I are parallel this year because this is his 10-year sober birthday this year, and it's my 30th, and so it feels definitely like a milestone milestone year. Can everyone find you on social media? You can follow me on Instagram, at Scout Sobel. Everything I do is in the link in my bio, Scout's Agencies, Instagram, OKSIS's okay, Instagram. I have a solo podcast called Scout Podcast where... 
I talk a lot about the stuff we talked about today, just me rambling. So check me out there. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter that I send out. And the book has not been announced yet. So you're going to want to be on the newsletter to find out when it drops because I'm just going to let you know when it's available to purchase. No pre-order bullshit. So come follow me there. DM me if you liked anything about this episode. I love chatting with everybody. You know that. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for having having me. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for being on my podcast. Yeah. yeah. yeah.